The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 282 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is community initiatives in caring for children, adolescents, and adults with disabilities. Community initiatives provide caring for children, adolescents, and adults with disabilities, and also for their family caregivers. Community initiatives provide services and support additional to those available from social services and healthcare systems. Community initiatives may rely on young people with family caregiving experience with family members with disabilities. They may, these initiatives may rely on young people who themselves live with disabilities. Um, and the community initiatives rely on initiatives in which individuals who recognize needs in their communities then create community-based services to help meet these needs. Our community initiative story today is of how an individual, Amy McFarlane, created a community-based business, Recreational Respite, Inc., that developed community-based therapeutic recreation programs called Recreactive. It's a story of how a young person, Carrie Duncan, with family caregiver experience of caring for her brother who lives with developmental disabilities, works with Recreational Respite, Inc. in delivering the recreative programs. And it's also the story of how the very idea of the initiative was presented at a town hall meeting, all of which is why our topic today, Community Initiatives Caring for Children, Adolescents and Adults with Disabilities, is so interesting and important. Now, to discuss it, our guest is Kerry Duncan. Kerry has long been involved in disability advocacy and support work. Her older brother, Todd, lives with developmental disabilities. Their close relationship led her to social work. She's worked as a service coordinator for the Center for Students with Disabilities at the University of Ottawa's Student Union. She helped create the Student Union's Accessibility Committee. She worked to make the university campus more inclusive and more accessible by ensuring that relevant standards were met, by facilitating discussions about barriers and discrimination on campus, and by providing active listening and suicide intervention support services. She previously worked as a recreational support worker with Community Living Meaford in Ontario, Canada, in developing 
individual recreation plans for adults with developmental disabilities living in supported group homes. Now she works with Recreational Respite, Inc. in helping develop the Recreative as a community, community-based set of programs. So, welcome to the show, Kerry. Thank you, Gordon. Right, now, first question for you. Please tell us something more about your life, your career, and your experience with family caregiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you mentioned, I grew up in Thornbury, Ontario, which is a small town uh, two and a half hours west of Toronto on the Jordan Jordan Bay, so in this really beautiful rural area in Ontario. And uh, after I spent 18 years uh, living with my brother, sister, and our parents here in Thornbury, I went to Ottawa for five years and studied at the University of Ottawa. And I looked at globalization studies and history for a long time. Um, and uh, while I was at the University of Ottawa, I always say that really my studies came second to my work at the Student Union. So I was there, I was working at the Center for Students with Disabilities uh, as their service coordinator. And the primary role of our Student Union and a lot of work that I focused on was advocating for accessible and affordable second, post-secondary education because in so many ways that uh, that campus and all the post-secondary campuses across Canada are just riddled with inaccessibility and so many barriers to uh, students getting involved or even coming to university. And so, and while I was there, I was also on the board of the Ontario Public Interest Research Group, which is a very wordy way of saying this thing called OPERG, which a lot of university campuses have, as well as being a president of a labor union for a year. Um, And so, Primarily my role, as I said, has been disability caregiving. Um, It was a role I had long before I even knew that that was a role. Um, So as you mentioned, my brother has developmental disabilities. He has epilepsy, a developmental delay, and cerebral palsy in his jaw and his hands. And so his his needs and his accommodations were always, always a part of my life. And because he's older, I can't imagine my life without those things. Um, so often this means uh, staying up in the middle of the night while he's having seizures or reassuring him that the fact he like currently can't read is an okay thing or making sure that if he gets too excited and his hands and jaw start to click that we take a moment and check check ourselves and calm down. Um, and, yeah, it's just been so many different advocacy roles, whether it was, like, ensuring that, if he was facing, like, bullying uh, when we were in public school or high school, that got stopped, or if it was making sure he had the same opportunities in the classroom. Um, and then in university, a lot of the stuff I did was around uh, ad- attitudinal barriers and making sure people were getting increased education on their the, like, cultural um, education they have on being discriminatory towards people with disabilities. Because so often we see media and we see our day-to-day lives teaching us that people with disabilities are lesser, less desirable, and therefore not as valuable in our society. So this meant facilitating a lot of workshops around language. It meant doing a lot of reading and a lot of researching on different standards and laws that were passed in the last few years, and then teaching that and being the advocate for students at the University of Ottawa. Very good. Now, I want to just go ask you a little bit more about your advocacy work. You've mm-hmm. said quite a bit about it already, but what is it that really uh, you do in your advocacy and what kind of drives you to do it? What's, 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 what's in your mind when you're advocating? Kerry? Well, I think a lot of my advocacy work comes from 
knowing I have a lot of different skills and a lot of privilege with those skills and opening up spaces for people with disabilities to have the same opportunities that other people are having in the world right now. And that those voices so that have so often historically been disregarded or seen as less have the space to really, like, be self-empowered. And a lot of that, like, came from, like, growing up with a brother who I didn't even know was different until someone pointed it out to me when I was in kindergarten. And then uh, from that point on, it was like, nope, this is my... This is the role I've been placed in, and and as much as I can, like, work with my own abilities and my own functionings, create as much space as possible to challenge a lot of those historical discriminations that people are still facing so many repercussions from. Would you say that your advocacy is advocating for us, the community, to recognize the abilities of people with disabilities, people that we describe as having disabilities. Would you say that? I, I would definitely say that and and definitely celebrating the abilities while also recognizing that the fact they have disabilities and need that support is also a like commendable and recognizable thing and something that we should also be valuing. Right. Now, I want you to tell us about your work with recreational respite, respite inc, please. What do you, mm-hmm. what do, you do for them? Well, I'm the newest member to the team, but it's very exciting. Um, my role is twofold. So right now I'm doing uh, individual client work. So what that means is I'm working with different clients who have contacted Recreational Respite and are looking for someone to help them with motivation or goal development or just getting out in the community, whether it's like day-to-day going to the grocery store, getting the mail, or it's taking initiative and leading their own projects. And then I'm also helping with uh, Recreactive, which is the community initiative you've been talking about. And uh, right now we're getting the feedback, and then I'll be helping develop the programming because that was my job in a lot of other places. So developing different uh, classes that people can get involved with. Talk, talk to us a bit more about what you mean by programming. What, what uh, does that actually mean? So what the programming will be is taking the needs of the community and taking the needs that get communicated to us in a survey and developing a space, whether it's focused on computers or whether it's focused on uh, athletic skill or exercise-based skill or art or any number of subjects and uh, creating uh, a, like, organized agenda, I would say, to facilitate a space so they can start to develop those skills a lot more. So in other words, it's, you've recognized the abilities, the skills of the individual, and mm-hmm. through the programs, and I want to know if this is right, mm-hmm. you're aiming to develop those skills so that um, they can be put to more use. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Now, I'm going to be asking you more about the the implications and of the achievements that you're planning for but in the community in which you work just very briefly mm-hmm. what kind of um, blockages do you see to the recognition of the abilities of people who are regarded as people with disabilities and how do you see those being overcome Kerry? Well I think some of the barriers in our community one is that we're a rural area 
which makes it difficult to connect with everyone because a lot of people don't live in town. Um, my brother and I are lucky enough to live in town and therefore have a lot of opportunity to like walk wherever we want to go and get to whatever program we want to get to. But connecting on a much broader sense becomes difficult because people are so removed from the core ta- like center of the town. And I think the other thing is communication is not always the easiest thing. Often folks with disabilities, whether they're super young and their parents are just starting out as caregivers or they're older and aging populations, they easily become shut into their houses and they easily like become removed from society because our community, and I think this is true of a lot of rural communities, but I'm not 100% sure, uh, there's very little transition program in life in our area. And so the town at this point hasn't been able to provide um, support for people transitioning into adulthood and in transitioning into becoming not just members of the school, but members of the community. Yes, I mean, if you take into account the distance in a rural area and the question of mobility, um, that really does um, bring people to stay in their own homes and places without getting out into the community, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Now, when they get work to do, is your idea that they will then need to travel into the town centre, so to speak, to fulfil the work. Just quickly, is that your goal? Um, Hopefully and ideally. um, Often also the roles of the work roles. The idea is to open up more work roles. So the bigger this program becomes, hopefully the more discussion of people with disabilities being present in the community is going to come up. So more job opportunities will be able to come up and therefore the need for transportation will come as a community-based need. Right. And what about, just again, another very quick question, Mm -hmm. what about working from home? Do you see that being part of the formula that you're developing? Well, I think working from home is a great idea, and I know Amy and I talk a lot about the new online world and the opportunities of an online world um, and the options of working from home. At this point, uh, it, it really depends on the interest. So if we have a person or a participant who really is interested in blogging, great, let's set them up with a system where they can work from home, and that's a really affordable job to do. And then it's finding the community-based like financial resources to allow them to work from home, because that's right. another barrier we see is not enough financing to a lot of these programs. Sure, absolutely. Now, we've got um, to take a break at this particular mm-hmm. moment because it's that time, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Kerry Duncan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. When you think of museums, what comes to mind? Is it ancient history? Rotating displays of collections? Are they nice places to visit, or are they essential to our cities and society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert. We'll discuss what the attraction is and historical importance of museums and what they contribute to the economic makeup of our cities and country. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? 
You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris Efesiu. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Kerry Duncan. Our topic is community initiatives in caring for children, adolescents, and adults with disabilities. Kerry, now let's talk about the needs for care and the support and support the needs that arise for children, adolescents, and adults with disabilities and for their family caregivers. In other words, it's the community mm-hmm. of the people you are providing services for. So please tell us about, first of all, the needs for care and support that arise for the adults in those communities or in that community. Kerry? Um, well, I think uh, well, our community is full of aging populations because we live in a tourist town, and so a lot of people retire to these spaces. And so a lot of people are acquiring disabilities as they get older, and there's no programming to help them deal with that or help them adjust to the fact that they now have these new barriers in their life. And so the demand for caregivers has skyrocketed across Canada as an aging population, but especially in our area. And so for both adults who are older and adults who are um, in their, like, 20s and 30s, having someone consistently there is always in demand, and that will always, always be a need. Um, I think the other thing that we often see is um, a need from the adults with disabilities to not be treated like children. So often people, and they've been taught to, have patronizing attitudes towards disabilities, whether that they're incapable or that they they just get talked down to a lot and so we a lot more educational resources need to be given to caregivers so that they can properly support and empower those adults with disabilities whether they're older or they're in their 20s and 30s to make sure they feel empowered empowered and actual members of the community um and with that often like uh we because we have very little programming the programming that we do have that's been amazing has been also age-focused. And so it's been very much focused on the people in their 20s and 30s and then the people who are aging. So I think more collaboration between those communities could also be a great thing to help with mentorship, help with communication, and that way we can really start to foster community amongst those people a lot more. That's a very interesting um, challenge that you have. You've got an aging community that's really growing because it's a retirement community. And that is to say it's growing probably faster than the aging in a big city of people who live in a big city. Is that actually right, what I've just said to you? 
Uh, as far as I know, I, I think that's very accurate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting challenge. Now, I want you to tell us, please, about the needs for care and support that arise for children and adolescents with disabilities. Well, I think the primary need, and you could probably get this from every parent, every sibling across uh, both the high school and the public school, is the need for a transition program outside the school system. So, so often we see people graduating from an excellent high school program that really, really focuses on skill development that's uh, situated in Meaford um, at Georgian Bay Secondary School, and then they go out Uh, They graduate, and there's nothing for them. There's a social space, and there's, like, if they want to get involved with Special Olympics basketball or summer activities, that's there. But there's nothing to actually give them transition into, like, what being an adult is, whether that's getting a job or finding independent living or navigating new forms and government policies. That type of support isn't there right now. And then even more with smaller children, um, they have really the school and after-school programs to be as outlets. And so often we see schools putting disability as separate. They segregate those uh, students, which in a lot of ways can be helpful, but they also they make it as something different, which makes it even harder for them as they get older to integrate into those communities. Does that also raise the question then of isolation once they've left the school system um, and that transition hasn't taken place in the way that I think you're saying it should, does that mean then that despite all the good things that will have happened to them at school, they're still then isolated from the opportunities of society? Am I correct in what I've just said to you? So often that happens to be the case, unfortunately. Just say a little bit more about the way you see your program helping with that, and in particular, whether your program is going to focus on the actual transition. Karen? Well, at this point, um, we we uh, set up the program, or are setting up the program, so that two days a week we focus on supporting adults, but in the evenings and the weekend, we're there to also provide programming to children. <coughs> Sorry, to children uh, with disabilities um, to do similar things, but at an earlier age. And also the hope with that is that we'll be able to connect these families who are doing the caregivers or who are being caregivers and connect the people young and older who have disabilities so we can have a like smoother transition and so they can find the proper community supports that they need. Um, and so that when they do get older, they're not as isolated. And I recently learned that there's a Grey-Bruce Down Syndrome Society or something of a similar title, and that's amazing. That's a brand-new thing that we didn't have six years ago and could have so much, so greatly used to help so many people transition and find support within people who have similar experiences. Um, a particular challenge of the time that we're talking, which is early 2014, is that many young people, after they've been to finished in school, um, find it very difficult to get jobs because there aren't jobs for them. Mm-hmm. So that the community of young people with um, disabilities, the question of getting a job must be there for increased 
in its challenges. It must be more and more difficult for them because there aren't any jobs. Again, am I being too pessimistic or is that right? Kerry? Um, I think you're accurately pessimistic because even as you were talking, my head was jumping to all of these different examples um, because it's true. There, right now, uh, the way Ontario is set up is it pushes people out of high school into a post-secondary situation, whether that's college or university. And really, those systems are great, but they're set up for only specific types of learning and specific types of skills. And because of that, all of those job opportunities are not being available to people who have disabilities. Now, in some cases, they don't have the capacity to hold some of those jobs, and that's fine, but it, it also maintains this mentality that they're not, they don't have valuable knowledge and that they don't have a valuable place, which is so absolutely not the case. And so right. we see these post-secondary positions or positions that could be an internship or could be volunteer work first as a way of testing folks with disabilities in those roles, we see them automatically going to a post-secondary skill level and not accounting for varying forms of capacity, abilities, and learning. Now, let's go to the family caregivers mm-hmm. who are caring for children and adoles- adolescents with disabilities. What about the needs for care and support for those family caregivers, Carrie? Well, With caregivers, really, the word that always pops in my mind is resources, and resources of a variety of types. So often, um, like, in the first sense, there's, like, the, like, basic resources of, like, how to navigate ODSP, how to navigate housing, how to look into independent living, how to even navigate your own internal discrimination you have towards people with disabilities that we've all been taught through media or through past generations, and... These resources so often aren't provided to caregivers. Um, When my sister and I were little, all we wanted was a group where we could talk with other siblings of people who had disabilities to to just have people we could relate to and talk to people who were doing this type of care and not have people ask us questions like, would you change your brother or isn't it so hard for you? Because really it wasn't. It was great and it was challenging, but it was also a privileging and amazing learning experience. And so... A lot of those basic educational resources were what we really wanted and I think what people still need. As we were talking about before, isolation is a huge thing and often this also applies to caregivers who are left with, like there's no like go-to site on how to support your child who is experiencing a visual impairment or how to support your child who has a learning disability, who, which is an experience a caregiver may not have but wants to do their best to help empower and support. And then at the same time, community, like it also leads into the other form of resources, just community and finding people who, who relate to your experiences and know what it is to navigate those systems and know what it is to be the, feel like you're the only person in a school fighting to make sure your kid or your sister or your brother has opportunities that everyone else has. Um, so in that sense, I would say, I definitely say there's a lot of different things needed for caregivers. Right. Now, you used um, the uh, uh, acronym ODSP. Oh, yes. Please tell us what that is, Kerry. Sorry, I have such a tendency to use acronyms. Um, All all healthcare people do. (laughs) um, So the ODSP is the Ontario Disability Support Plan, and this is the financial service that some people with disabilities 
receive as a monthly stipend to support them. Um, this is an essential service that a lot of people qualify for and have a lot of difficulty navigating. And uh, if you ask a lot of people, it will it's very limited to the amount of what actual costs of society needs. And especially in our area, we've had a huge increase in gentrification and uh, a huge tourist increase in the last a few years. And because of that, cost of living here has gone skyrocketed. And because of, and yet things like ODSP stay about the same. And so we need these like larger government policies to account for such huge changes to really help us in integrating people and empowering them to not just use all of their money on rent and food, which is where a lot of people are at right now, but also to be able to afford programming and afford, afford travel and afford like leading their own programs. Right. Now, we've come to uh, the point in uh, where we have to take the break to pay the rent, but I just want to make a quick co comment back to you, and that is family caregivers, you've made it very clear, need support. And one of the purposes of this, um, of this talk show, Kerry, is to bring the voices of family caregivers and the understanding of family caregivers to the front so that they feel that they're being represented and so that they feel that their needs can be understood and talked about. So thank you very much for your answer to that question. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Kerry Duncan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Carrie Duncan. Our topic is Community Initiatives in Caring for Children adolescents, and adults with disabilities. Uh, Kerry, now I want you to talk about the recreative program that was discussed 
at the Blue Mountains Town Hall Council Chambers on January 24th, 2014. So Kerry, please highlight the idea of the Recreative Programme and tell us about the response at the Town Hall meeting to the idea of this programme. Kerry? Well, the Recreative Programme came out of a huge demand in the community for increased programming for especially young adults with disabilities um, that my brother and many folks and uh, his friends like need um, as they're entering into adulthood. And so what happened was um, uh, many of the caregivers met up with Amy McFarlane, who is the founder of Recreational Respite, and had this excellent meeting to discuss uh, what a program could look like in our community. So before the town hall meeting, we did a lot of outreach, a lot of social media, and garnered a lot of support from different family caregivers, from different organizational partners, such as the Town of the Blue Mountains, and especially the recreational department, Sean Everett. He's been amazing in this process. Um, and United Way and different media sources. There's been a lot of, like, gear up and support for this program because it's so clear to so many people, the huge demand for it. And then on Friday, we, we held the town hall meeting despite horrific weather. It was so bad outside. Um, and we had a full uh, ta- uh, council chambers in the town of the Blue Mountains town hall. And it was different members of the community, different caregivers, different just random members of the community there to hear what the program would look like. And generally, the questions were really logistical, which to me was a really positive response because it meant our ideal was clear. We really want a group-based program that really focuses on individual goals, on individual um, capacities, and and allows people to develop as members of the community. Would you go so far as to say that the discussion was about how and when rather than if there should be the recreative program. Would you go Uh, that far? Absolutely. It was very much what are the logistics, how quick can we get this going? Yeah. Uh, When you mention the the weather, please be a bit more specific. What kind of weather challenges were you you grappling with? Kerry? Um, So the Graybruce and Simcoe area has been under blizzard warning for about four weeks now. And so um, at least four days a week, we have uh, different roads in our area closed and, uh, like, you can't see on the roads. And on Friday night, it was especially bad where um, it was just nonstop blowing. The temperature had dropped drastically and the wind gusts were unbelievable. And because of that, traffic was backed up from Thornbury to Craigleith, which is the town between here and Collingwood. And... It made it very, very dangerous to be on the roads. And despite that, we had amazing turnout. We had people come all the way from Barrie to come and support who work with recreational respite and see what we were doing. And so it it was quite dangerous and scary outside, and yet we had an amazing response. I think that in itself tells you, tells us, just how important the idea is and how well taken the idea has been by your community. So that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to tell you about some, I ask you to tell us about something specific in the Recreative Program, and it's called the Leisure or Leisure and Learn mm-hmm. Model. What is this, and how does it benefit children, adolescents, and adults? Well, Kerry? 
Leisure and Learn is about combining skills and social interaction for recreative. So an example of this is going to be the, is our targeted lunch program. So what the lunch program slash cooking club is meant to be is a space for people to come together, collectively eat, develop peer-to-peer -peer interaction, but also develop skills around basic cooking so they can live more independently. And so out of this, we get a leisure and learn program in itself, and really it's a meal. It's something people partake in every day, and because of that, we wanted to take that very informal aspect and make it something that people could take with them and interact and build towards living independently. So would it be fair to say that this is a social occasion uh, where people are eating what they've together, what they've cooked together, and are learning how to cook, but are also doing things together in a social arena. Is that right? I, I definitely think that's right. And it's not specifically a social program as much as, because um, often we see social programs as drop-in programs. So the goal is, is for people to register for it. But in the sense of social interaction, absolutely. So in other words, there's a kind of um, program program part of the program whereby you sign up and you have to be there at a certain time on a certain day is that right yes that's right yeah and that's part of the learning process as well isn't it oh absolutely consistency in schedule is so so important right now let's move to the family caregivers mm -hmm. um please tell us how the recreative program will support family caregivers well, I think the support for family and caregivers is multiple. I was actually discussing it with my mom this morning, and she was just so excited, where um, it gives people another option. As I said, there's some athletic and social programming in our area where there's an amazing Special Olympics basketball team, and there's summer activities that people can engage in, but really that's not enough options for people to actually become engaged. And so this and also an option that really focuses on specific skill and goal-based development. We haven't seen that in this area for as long as I can remember, and I've lived here for 23 years. So um, really, really focusing on giving another space for people's loved ones to engage. And also it, it provides a break effectively, and that sounds really harsh, but it, like being a caregiver can be a really exhausting role, and it's not the easiest role to play when you feel like you're the only one trying to develop programming and make sure your loved one is using their skills and not just staying home and doing jigsaw puzzles every day. And the fact there's going to be another space for people to engage and let those caregivers have, like, have lives outside of their role as caregivers, which people so often forget, um, I think it's going to be really exciting. Just to clarify something, mm -hmm. respite, respite to me means having a rest. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about, what the recreative recre program is that you're describing, has a component of that. But it also has a component of activity, of getting together with other people, of moving into something that's different from the everyday routine. And that way is a stimulating and not just a matter of resting have i got that right you've absolutely got that right because that what that points to is the understanding that it's certainly a matter of, for family caregivers of time off 
and in a in an occupational you know in the way you speak about work but it's much more than that it's going beyond merely having some time off it's the opportunity to put time in on something that's interesting different takes you out of the one situation puts you in another one but also stimulates you and that seems to me if i may just feed this back to you a very powerful message um for anybody who's interested in and i hope they among our listeners there will be such people in taking advice from you about how to get such a program going in their community now i have a, another question mm-hmm. with that town hall experience despite all the snow and the road <laughs> road blockages and all the rest of it is going to the town hall for a meeting like you had a good way to get a program like this recognized supporting than the way what do you say absolutely i think i said absolutely about a hundred times absolutely <laughs> um uh, a town hall meeting is something so many programs fail to have so often it's go 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 and they very little space is made for feedback actually from the community and it, therefore it, it's really inorganic in how it functions in society in a community because there was no feedback. And so for a program like this, I think it's absolutely essential you have a town hall because not only did it allow us the time to do the work before to do outreach and see what demand would be like, it also, the meeting itself, reasserted that we were going in the right direction and doing things that supported the community rather than further isolated them, which I think often happens when you don't get feedback from the community when the idea isn't supported and you just impose something, community is not going to come. And so the, and really recreational respite and recreative runs based on demand. And so if the community wants it, that's how it's going to function. If if they're not feeling what's going on and they're not okay with it, then it's not our place to be imposing that on people. In other words, in the nicest way, this is political with a small p. That is to say, you're in, involving and engaging a community, first of all, to find out what they think and what they need, and secondly, to bring them to the point where they support or even call for the program that you're advocating. Oh, um, absolutely. I also am a huge advocate of everything being small p political, and so I think that's an excellent description of it. And you see, what's important about that is, and uh, this is perhaps a little bit controversial, something I'm going to say, Mm -hmm. uh, but you've hinted at it, if not actually said it, and that is so often programs um, come from the top down, uh, you know, somewhere back where the political decisions are made, um, all the politicians will gather together and make a decision, and down comes the program, um, without having much or any input from the community it's supposed to serve, with the result that things that are very apparent to the community, the challenges of the particular community, don't get listened to, don't get understood, and don't get uh, responded to. And I'm just thinking of your point about the rural world that you all live in, the distances, you know, the questions of public transit, the question of jobs, the question of where people will be able to 
employ in a way their abilities so that these are valued and recognized and so that they are able to get to their work and create careers for themselves mm-hmm. whereby their abilities will be valued. Now, I know that's a long speech, but I'm just making it to you because I think the secret of a lot of things that need to happen in healthcare and social services is one that you've revealed to us, which is have a town hall meeting. (laughs) It it seems so basic, and yet people seem... It's like reinventing the wheel every time. And so often with top-down programs, this is where we get the patronizing attitudes. This is where the programs are used as, like, tokenistic to meet some quota that so a government can prove that they're supporting the people in their country. And I think you touch on it really well, and not to be too controversial, of course, but in that it has to, it has to be organic. It has to come from community. Yeah. Yeah. It has to really empower what's going on because otherwise we're just – doing what history has always done, which is treat people with disabilities as something else, as something not quote-unquote normal to society and something we can use to our benefit instead of us helping them to support for their benefit. Bravo. Now, at that point, we'll, we'd better take the short break, uh, and we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Kerry Duncan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Kerry Duncan. Our topic is community initiatives in caring for children, adolescents and adults with disabilities. Kerry, now let's talk about the next steps for the recreative program or programs. Uh, You see, we're speaking now at the end of January 2014. Mm -hmm. And what I want to know is what you see and would like to see flowing from the program or programs this time next year, that is in, at the end of January 2015. So let's now talk about what do you see, first of all, in 2014 as the very next steps in creating the Re- Recreative Programme? Well, I think our next steps are going to be getting the survey that we created out as far as we can, connect with as many people we can so we can continue to get as much feedback to make this as beneficial as necessary. Um, Our amazing team member, Melissa, um, on Recreational Respite has been bottom-lining a lot of the survey and doing a great job. And so we have some survey results back from the town hall. A lot of people filled it out. And so we'll be taking um, what skills people wanted, what specific programming people wanted, when people are available, and building that into the program. That's immediate next steps. And then also making sure anyone who, like, because of the weather or because of jobs or because they have their own things going on that night, anyone who wasn't able to get there can get that survey and get their voice heard. Right. Now, we're still talking about the end of January 2014. Mm -hmm. How far along are you in recruiting participants for the program, and how will you recruit more? Well, group sizes, we're hoping for 6 to 10 people. And so at this point, we actually we have a lot of interest, as I think we've concluded thus far. Um, however, we're going to be recruiting, right. I think, right up until um, it starts. And so there's a lot of people who have been isolated for so long, and so we want to find those people. We want to find people in the community because there's so many who have mental health diagnosis and have been cut out because they've been seen as, quote, unquote, crazy instead of, quote, unquote, or not quote-unquote, just valuable. <laughs> and so um, our hope is to do a lot more outreach, but at the same time, as I said, it's going to be a register-based program. So we're hoping to run a pilot in March um, over the March break week, which I've been out of high school for so long that I don't actually know when that, when, <laughs> when that week is. Um, but uh, in March, hopefully run the pilot. And then we were talking about by June, by the time people finish uh, their school semester in the area, getting people involved in a consistent either weekly or uh, twice-per-week program. Now, I want to switch to January 2015. Mm-hmm. Kerry, tell us, please talk to us, and tell us about the benefits that you would like to see flowing from the Recreative Program programs at the end of January 2015. Kerry? I Even thinking about it, I just get so excited because it's been a program my brother and I and my family has talked about since I was five and my brother was eight. And so the idea of 2015 is just this amazing, like, ball of light and excitement where hopefully we'll have a consistent program going for adults who have disabilities for older and aging populations who have Alzheimer's, stroke, um, and are in those, like, aging phases, and a program going for children and younger people with disabilities so that we can make this as, like, 
powerful as possible. And so by 2015, hopefully things are going to be running consistently. We'll have as like community in itself will continue to build. Communication within the community will continue to build, which is so, so exciting. And like, and the fact that it's happening in a rural area makes me even more excited because you hear about these things happening in the city, but you like the great thing about this program is that the way Amy has set it up is it's transferable. So you could do it in an urban area or you could do it in a rural area, and the benefits are going to come. Let me just ask you to say who you think are going to be the most likely beneficiaries of the program, not because there are any problems with the people or the program, but simply in terms of numbers or in terms of types of problems. Who do you think? In other words, I'm going to ask you, if you're drafting an, ad, uh, an advert, mm-hmm. who would you be targeting the advert to? I think I'd be targeting it towards the participants because while the caregivers are going to see a lot of benefits come out of this, the participants and their skill development is really our primary goal. And that's who I would want to talk to if I was talking about this program. And really, because also they're the ones who are going to be able to flag to us when they're uncomfortable with something or if something doesn't seem to fit as well or if, like, finances are going to be the barrier. We want to know that. We want to know what what are keeping people from being involved and try and address those issues and really break it down so people can be active members of their community. By doing those things, you're also, though, aren't you, helping the family caregivers? Inherently, Um, yeah. Yeah, because life's difficult for them when their family members are not being cared for in the way they should be, they are not having the opportunities they need, and where life for them really is the non I'm talking about the family members, is the mm-hmm. non-recognition, a non-valuation of their abilities. So that if the old program is able to turn those things around, then family caregivers are going to be beneficiaries, although indirectly from the program. That's right, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And I think it's also going to open up a lot of conversations that our community needs to have, like housing and the need for supported independent housing, where a lot of these people are still living with their parents, still living with their siblings, and caring for them in a lot of ways. But they do, like, there is a clear need for them to have their own lives and move out of their parents' houses and want to like garner that independence. So this program not only is going to see immediate benefits, but also open up so many long-term conversational benefits that hopefully will snowball into just what will be a very, very effective, effective community. And it's a, a movement, isn't it, that's going to affect the entire community because people who are members of our community who are not actually directly touched by the challenges you've been talking about, (laughs) nevertheless know when a society is supporting people, when a society is a happy one, when a society is a caring one, and one, therefore, is when it's a society that's successful in all the things, social things it does. So in that way, this is a model for communities large, small, rural, urban, um, 
to mobilize themselves for the overall improvement of the community as well as helping people with specific challenges, uh, whether it be uh, children, uh, adults, or elderly people, and also the family caregivers. So that's a fundamental, a fundamental benefit for our society at a time when things can be quite stressed for people. So I'm going to say that to you as my little mm -hmm. final, final speech to you, because the purpose, as I've said before, of this show is to give voice to and give publicity to, as far as we can, to the kind of activities that Amy McFarlane has begun. And you and members of your team are working with her to promote. And so on behalf of the community that I know from my own experience needs what you're doing, and for the benefit uh, of all of the communities that uh, may be listening to what you've done, I hope that they'll follow in your footsteps and that you will <laughs> respond mm -hmm. with your advice. So let me just say now, thank you, Kerry. Thank you, Gordon. Um, and all the very best, every success for 2015 and everything between January 2014 and mm -hmm. January 2015. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be protecting the genetic data of families with histories of serious illnesses. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. We'll be talking with you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 